This episode is brought to you by our self-care guide full of practical tips to help you prioritize your self-care. Download the guide at thejuggle.com.au forward slash self-care. If you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lulovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Joel Lulovich here. And Lucy Dickens, thanks for tuning back into the Juggle Podcast. This is not our last episode for the year, but is our last guest episode for the year. And it's a pretty special guest. Um, I've known Sarah Jefford for a few years now, and Lucy is also a friend of Sarah's. She is lovely and has a super interesting story to tell. Sarah is a family and surrogacy lawyer, an IVF mum, and an egg donor. And when I first met Sarah at a conference back in 2017, which was actually one of the Happy Lawyer, Happy Life conferences, the first one that was run and the first one that I went to, she was very obviously pregnant. And Sarah introduced herself by saying, hi, as you can see, I'm pregnant, but this is not my baby. So it was quite quite an unusual intro and, and led to a few interesting questions. Then in 2018, she gave birth as a surrogate. Sarah and her partner now live in Melbourne with their two children, two boys. And Sarah runs her business, which is a legal business, entirely from home, working school hours and evenings to suit her family and her clients. And as you'll hear as we speak to Sarah in the interview, she has intentionally designed her life this way. She tells us that she, her ideal life is where she gets to do what she wants. And that's the kind of the test that she applies to all of the things that she gets to do. I don't think anyone could feel other than amazement about someone choosing to act as a, as a surrogate. I think it's an amazing gift to give. And Sarah speaks a little bit about it during this interview and, and some of the negativity around it as well. Do you think that same thing, Lucy? I just think of it's such a complex arrangement and I don't know if it's never really something I've put my mind to, although I would say I would absolutely do be a surrogate if it was for one of my sisters if one of my sisters couldn't have children I think that I would I mean it's never something I've had a conversation about because we've never we've never needed to but I think about just the mental challenges and the emotional and the you know when you're having a baby it's hormonal and then the interrelationships between all the different family members and the people who wouldn't normally be part of your family but now have become part of your family and I just think It's so much bigger than the physical growing and giving birth to a baby. It's all of the stuff that comes around that, that I think would just be a challenge. Yeah. Well, like we say, when we have a baby of our own, you know, you you think when you initially become pregnant, oh my God, this is a new thing. I've never done this before. What's it doing to my body? How am I going to get through this pregnancy and birth? And you kind of stop a lot of the times at that point. Mm. And then everyone reminds you, well, don't forget once you've actually got through the birth, then you've got a lifetime of looking after this child because they're always your child. And in the case of surrogacy, it's not just the baby. In fact, you kind of, you give the baby away, but it's the ongoing relationships as opposed to -to day-to-day care. Yeah, it's incredibly complicated. Yeah. Sarah's an amazing human being for what she's done and what she's done to help other families as well, because it's not just surrogacy as you'll hear in the interview. Sarah's also been an egg donor. Mm, Yeah. And she shares a lot generally just about how she's juggling two kids, a business, all these extra people in her life. And, um, and I think she's got some really great practical tips. So enjoy the interview. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. Most of our listeners, I think almost all of them have kids, but probably not many of them have ever been a surrogate, unlike you. So what I would love to know first up is how you found being a surrogate and going through IVF has impacted on your juggle. That's a good question. So my first son, Archie, who's now nine, he was an IVF baby and we were treated for male factor infertility. So we went through IVF. I had a lot of eggs. I was told I was very fertile, but we took like seven embryo transfers to fall pregnant with him. And I remember thinking at the time, well, you know, there's no fertility issue with me, apparently. Maybe I could donate my eggs one day. And when Archie turned two, we thought we're going to go back to IVF and have another baby. And we started Mm. saving. And a month later, I was pregnant naturally, which was a nice surprise. It's quite common, isn't it, for a second birth to be a natural one? Yeah, When we talk about infertility, people think that that means you can't have children without IVF. What it actually usually is, is subfertility, is that your fertility is not great, but you need one sperm and one egg and they need to meet and the uterus needs to be able to carry it. So when people say we needed IVF, it doesn't always mean that they could never have fallen pregnant naturally. It just means that right now that's not happening or it didn't happen when they wanted it to. So for us, we were treated for malfactor infertility And I guess there was always a possibility that one sperm would meet one egg and we would fall pregnant. And that's what happened second time around. So we were very lucky. I do remember most of the pregnancy with Raf, my second child, just being a bit shocked that I was pregnant and I didn't remember visiting a clinic to get pregnant. So (laughs) So how did this happen? How did that happen? I still don't know. Anyway, so Raf is now six and when he weaned, I decided I would become an egg donor because I sort of had, I guess it was because I felt like I had uh, reproductive capacity. I still had something to give, but didn't want to have any more children. And so I became an egg donor. And during that process, I met some women who had been egg donors who would then become surrogates. And I do remember thinking, oh, could be an egg donor. I don't know if I could give a baby away. But I also felt, and my husband and I were talking a lot about, would we have a third child? And uh, it was kind of like this up in the air discussion. Have we decided not? We sort of feel like maybe the answer is not, but you know, maybe there is a third child. And I had really enjoyed being pregnant and I I wanted to experience childbirth again. And I thought, well, actually, maybe surrogacy is a good answer because I can do all of those things without caring for the child. And that seems like a funny thing to say, like, why would you not want to care for the child? But it was actually the perfect thing for me because I thought, well, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could do it for somebody who couldn't birth their own child, that I could give that to them. And for me, that would also give me the experience of having done pregnancy and childbirth again without having to raise a baby. So that's how I came to do surrogacy. And in terms of, I guess, managing the juggle through that process, when we did IVF with Archie, I didn't have any kids to look after. I just Mm. had my job. I do remember that being quite hard, having to take time off work for IVF appointments. And you often don't want to tell your boss about why you're taking time off work. Mm. How much time did you have to take off? I think a lot of it was just early morning scans and blood tests. So I would be late for work, you know, two or three times a week sometimes. Mm -hmm. So it's manageable, but annoying, I guess. And I did have a supportive workplace. I worked for legal aid, Mm -hmm. but it's also something, how much do you share when it's actually your private information? Mm -hmm. And then you take... How did you deal with the leave, Sarah? Did you take that as time in lieu? Did you have to make up the time? Did you take it as personal leave? I think it was 
mostly sick leave when I needed more than an hour or two. And Mm -hmm. for the other appointments, we had flex time. So I would have started work late and just kept working the hours I needed to work without even having Mm -hmm. to tell my boss why. I might just say, I'll be late tomorrow. And then I would stay late and there was no real question. The biggest one for me, because uh, I'm a lawyer and I was at court every couple of days, Mm -hmm. we can't really be late for court. You can't explain that one away. And I do remember (laughs) doing a race from from home to the IVF clinic and then I had a whole lot of drugs, IVF drugs that needed to stay refrigerated and needing to take them home before I went to court because there was nowhere at court that I could store them and then having to arrive at court late and explain that away. So that was probably more stressful is I need to do all of this and actually the sort of time management around making sure you're at appointments and you're giving yourself injections right on time and being at court on time and getting your work done on time, all of that can be a bit of a juggle. I actually did IVF around the time of the Black Saturday fires and we went up and did some um, legal support for people that had lost their homes in the fires and I was between clients in the middle of a bushfire zone calling up the IVF clinic to plan appointments. So, yeah, and a lot of people that have done IVF will know it's a roller coaster, but you kind of, it's hard to get off the ride once you're on it. Yeah. You can't just stop. Mm. Yeah. So I remember just being completely motivated to get pregnant. And (laughs) so I would do that even if my work was so stressful that maybe I should have had a break. And then uh, later, so obviously RAF was conceived naturally. I didn't have to juggle IVF appointments for that. And then the surrogacy baby Darcy was also conceived without an IVF clinic. Uh, which is a whole other lesson about home inseminations, <laughs> which is a long story, I guess, if anyone's interested in how surrogacy works in Australia, then, you know, they can get in touch and I'll talk them through it. But one option is IVF clinics, which is what we call gestational surrogacy where the mm-hmm. surrogate is not providing her egg. And that's more common these days with IVF being an, uh, available to intended parents to uh, use their own um, sperm and eggs or an egg donor. Or there's for traditional surrogacy, which is where surrogate conceives with her own egg some clinics will assist with that in my case Victorian clinics are not allowed to assist with that so mm, and it's a funny one that will probably be reformed in the next year or so but essentially it means that if you're going to do a traditional surrogacy arrangement in Victoria you have to do it via home inseminations Mm -hmm. so there's no IVF clinic to balance there was a lot of balancing I guess of our time in terms of making sure we got the timing right and Mm -hmm. managing the intended parents visiting our house three or four times a month and what that meant for things like our children needed to be in bed on time and I needed to get my work done around that process and that can start to impede on the family routine and um, our priorities it starts to consume a lot of your time and your relationship, no doubt. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I found that stressful enough when we were trying to conceive our child, mm-hmm. like adding in another family into yes. that whole mix. Yeah. At least if it's when it's just two people who are having relations together, then it's they don't need to worry about anyone else, I guess. But yes, when you're doing it with another couple, you know, it's meant to be awkward. It's not meant to be normal. This is not situation normal. You're having a baby with a gay couple who you're not in a relationship with and managing everyone's feelings Mm. around that, the complexity of those relationships, but also the awkwardness of we're having a baby Mm -hmm. and we're doing something that's actually kind of intimate, but we wouldn't normally be intimate with each other. So there's the whole emotional juggle, I guess, is really it. You end up compartmentalizing a lot of what you're doing. How did your boys cope with it all? And have they coped since? Now Darcy's two years old. So, yeah, they've been pretty good. I remember 
it actually came up as a topic uh, quite naturally because my big kid has several friends who are donor conceived with sperm donors. So they have friends who have two mums. And uh, so they, and because I'd been an egg donor and Archie knew that he was an IVF baby, Mm. it kind of progressed this natural conversation about how babies are made and all the different ways of babies Mm. being made. And we'd been talking about babies are made with an egg and a sperm and a uterus and who has an egg or a sperm or uterus and keeping it fairly neutral in terms of who could contribute those things. Mm -hmm. And then one day he said something about his friend who had two mums and where was his dad? And we talked about that friend having a sperm donor, but two mums. And then I said something about two dads having a baby and he laughed and he said, well, how do they have a baby? Because they don't have a uterus. And I said, well, that's where somebody like mummy might carry the baby for them and give the baby to them. And he was like, oh, okay, cool. Yep. And then my little one, Raph, who would have only been uh, not quite three at the time, he was more fascinated with where will the baby live and do they have a cot for the baby and will we be able to visit mm-hmm. the baby and have cuddles with the baby? And then he kept, because it took several months for me to fall pregnant, so we weren't giving them the details of that process. They just knew that mummy was going to try and have a baby for them. And he asked me one day, I said, when are you going to have a baby for Mike and Nate? And I had just fallen pregnant. So I said, oh, after Christmas. And <laughs> thinking that's far enough away, it's abstract enough, but now he's got the answer. And he went to kinder that day and told everyone that <laughs> he's having a baby for Mike and Nate. Um, which, of course, we oh, had. Oh, at least he did that bit for you. Yes, that's right. It probably helped a bit. Well, yeah, we did have very lovely kinder teachers who were very curious, but also very supportive. We didn't actually tell, I mean, lots of people knew that we were doing a surrogacy, but they didn't know the details or, or when yeah. it was happening. They would, I guess they were just waiting for us to give them news. Um, with my bigger kid, he was in year one at the time. And I pulled up outside the school one day when I must've been about 12 weeks pregnant. And I said, oh, we're going to go and tell your teacher about mummy and the baby. And he was like, yep whose sperm made the baby? And I was like, oh, that's not what I was going to be talking to your teacher about or how this was happening. I was just going to give her the news that mummy's having a baby and it's Mike and Nate's baby. And he was like, yep, okay, cool. So they didn't really ask any questions after that about, you know, the sperm and the eggs or anything. Although I've been an egg donor since then. I've recently donated my eggs again. And my little one who's now six came home after I got back from the clinic and he walked in the door and he said, how many sperms did they get out of your tummy? And I was like, oh, <laughs> we're halfway there, but no, not quite that. The room of mummy has eggs, not sperm. He's like, okay, yep, okay. So they're fascinated by it, but they probably the, the biggest one that I perhaps hadn't really thought through was that when we all met Darcy when she was born and she would look like me, I didn't expect everyone would comment on that in front of my kids. I just mm. thought we would all just celebrate the baby's birth, but people kept saying to them, oh, she looks like you. And then they would look at me and go, why does the baby look like me? <laughs> so then having mm. to explain, they had a, a, they knew that mummy's egg had been used, but they didn't understand that that's what genetics looks like, is that mm. they look like each other because we're all related. And my egg donor child, who's now three, another child from my egg donation, they just have no concept. They They understand that he's from my egg but they don't understand that the genetic link means that he's actually genetically their half brother Mm. and that is language that they've heard other adults use but they adjust in some ways they don't care at this Mm. stage he's quite little they may have a different relationship as they get older but they're they're interested perhaps more in Darcy because they know that I grew her and they're more engaged in that process and we see Darcy and her dads quite regularly 
but they still have this sort of abstract idea of what that means and why she looks like them and what that relationship is with her. This episode is brought to you by us. As well as coming to you in the podcast each week, we love making live appearances. If your organisation would benefit from hearing our tips for managing the juggle or how to implement flexible work, then get in touch with us at hello at thejuggle.com.au. Find out more at thejuggle.com.au forward slash speak. Do you find that having Darcy and her dads and and the relationships that you have, that that's now a a big element that you have to add into your daily juggle? Yeah, that's actually probably, nobody's ever asked me that, but yes. And less so these days, she's nearly two. In the first few weeks after her birth, it was completely consuming. In fact, most of the surrogacy process the building of the relationship, the doing it, we did counselling and legals and psych assessments and we had to go to a panel hearing and all of this sort of stuff. It can mm. take up a lot of your time. Uh, the pregnancy, mm. of course, took up a lot of time. I um, I was really excited for them to have a baby, but I wasn't particularly excited about going to a midwife's appointment. And they were because I was like, I've done this twice already. I'm not that excited. Yeah. You're yeah. like, come on, can we get in, get out? Let's, Let's go. Get out. I've got things to do. <laughs> and it's different. It's happening to your body. You know how you feel. You yep. know baby's okay, but they don't because they're on the outside. So That's they kind right. of have that different experience. And they were excited to sort of see baby moving around on the scan or to hear the heartbeat at the midwife's appointment. And in some ways I was like, can we just get the appointment over and done with? I've got work to do. I've got things to do. Because what that actually meant was whatever time I was spending at a midwife's appointment was time I wasn't spending at home doing housework or doing work on my business so it was okay you kind of just get your head around it and you have to keep track of that sort of thing because it can build resentment if you're thinking well I just took my morning off for a midwife's appointment and they you know they didn't have to be there for the appointment but I did then you end up building resentment and that's not healthy everyone has to be prepared with whatever their burden is for the arrangement after the birth like I said I saw them nearly every day for the first few weeks And these days it's more once or twice, maybe three times a month because she's Mm -hmm. a lot older and they live about half an hour away. Mm -hmm. There has been times, I think, the energy that I need to put into maintaining the relationship, and that's not because it's it's hard, it's just sometimes it's a lot of work, I guess. It's Mm -hmm. this extra extension of our family that I need to factor in. That can be a juggle Mm -hmm. because none of us want to impose ourselves or be a burden on the others Um, but recognizing that really the priority here for everyone is Darcy and Mm -hmm. her relationship with me and my kids and their relationship with her there has been a point in the last few years where I've thought that's actually kind of terrifying that even if I had wanted to cancel the relationship with them if I went you know this is too hard I've got better things to do I don't want to have a relationship with these people it's too late she exists and we now have 25 years of relationship ahead and so it's worth the investment for all of us to have and everyone's motivated to do that like we all love each other very much and we have a really great relationship but there's it's a bit like I guess family law you're either married to each other or you're divorcing and if we don't want the relationship with them to end in divorce we actually have to invest in it and vice versa yeah awesome yeah so what does your typical day look like now then with with trying to balance your business and kids so these days because I work for myself and I work from home which is basically my dream job like I don't have to leave the house unless I need unless I want to and sometimes it's just to the coffee shop but because both my kids are now in school there's one drop off one pick up five days a week that's my ideal life I don't have to sort of back and forth with kinder or babysitters or anything like that and do you do all of that uh so my husband and I share 
some of the parenting stuff in the mornings and evenings. He works a sort of typical nine to five sort of job. He's also a lawyer. So you do the drop-offs and pickups. Yeah. The general rule, I guess, is that I do the drop-offs and the pickups in the afternoons. And I work sort of my, my business hours, I do the nine to three ish that's when I see clients and then in the evenings once the kids have gone to bed I see clients then as well which works Mm -hmm. for my clients because I often need people over zoom for example who are available in the evening so that works for them works for me and then the time between school pickup and bedtime is you know all the parenting stuff and all the housework stuff I try and allocate all the housework to that time so that I'm not wasting my time doing housework when the kids are at school I'm doing it when they're around because that's the easiest thing to do and I guess I'd prioritize all my client work for the times when the kids aren't in the house but I also prioritize the sort of getting a massage and a pedicure or whatever it is that I want to do for when they're not in the house too so that's you know that's the easiest time to get those things done Do you actually schedule all those things into your time block and say, this is the time I'm going to be working. This is the time I'm going to be doing my massage or spending time with the kids. I do. Look, I work off a lot of lists about like, you know, I need to get an agreement drafted or I need to book in with a client or whatever it is. I do then schedule in things like the massage. I often schedule it in like months ahead because otherwise it won't happen. Mm, Doesn't happen. Yeah. And I, funnily enough, I'll buy myself a, a day spa voucher because then I have to use it. (laughs) That's the only way that I'll ever actually, nobody else buys me those things. So that's what I do. And I also, funnily enough, I book in a florist to come and deliver a little bunch of flowers to my office, which is home once a month. And that's my little idea. Yeah. I was like, why nobody else buys me flowers. All these other offices have flower deliveries. Why can't I do that? So that's (laughs) what I do. It's just those sorts of things. So yeah, if it's not scheduled in, it doesn't happen. Sometimes I have to schedule in reading a book. Do you send your yourself nice cards once a month dear Sarah I should do that. have an awesome day today <laughs> I should do that nobody else does that <laughs> what I've learned in the surrogacy process and lots of people will understand the five love languages and yes. I was aware yes. of what my five love languages were but I hadn't really thought about it in context of surrogacy or even sort of these days I probably did it about 10 years ago what's yours I, I would say mine would be acts of service. So things like emptying the dishwasher. Yeah. <laughs> I want I want you to empty the dishwasher. I don't need you to give me lots of gifts. Yeah. So acts of service. And I'd say probably words of affirmation, but not as high. And what I find actually is that if I get a nice email from a client saying, thank you for your amazing podcast, I kind of don't want to read it. I'm like, no, no, I don't, I don't need to hear the words of affirmation. It's fine. But my husband, likewise, he would not be gifts, really. He would be um, acts of service, mm. possibly words of affirmation as well. But what I think we've got to the point of understanding that he's probably not going to order me flowers. And I could be angry about that and think, why won't he send me flowers? But actually, it's kind of nice to do that for myself and recognize that he has other ways of showing his love. I guess that's maturing as a couple rather than expecting romance, chocolates and flowers every week. Yeah. I like that. You can recognize what you like and see that he's not into buying gifts, which is fine. So buy them for yourself. I like the flower idea. I could Mm -hmm. sign up to that, I think. <laughs> or you could just have a like flower club and you could send them to each other. That would be cool. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only thing that I want to ask you before we get into this, you know, our favorite questions to end the thing is you've said that the business is your dream job. Do you think you would have started that business but for having kids? No. My old dream job, I was at Legal Aid, I was a family lawyer and then I became a manager. 
So I had that job before I had Archie and then I stayed there until I had Raf, and loved it. I, I guess I saw myself as a career legal aid lawyer. I'd really invested in that. I thought they were invested in me in the same way, I guess, that, that I expected to be there 20 or 30 years. That's where I was going to be. Mm. And certainly the priorities changed after Archie came along because you still want to progress your career, but you want to work part time and you don't want to put your child in daycare and all the guilt that comes with those age old things. It all changed a bit when uh, when RAF came along, I was made redundant. I was called up on my first day of maternity leave and told that my job no longer existed. Oh. And that oh, pretty wow. much destroyed my self-esteem. I really thought, well, I'm going to be a legal aid lawyer for life. So if there's no legal aid, what do I do? And at that time, just yeah. in your first, you know, terrible timing. Such a Yeah. So when I was actually ready about 15 months later to have a job, I started working at the Aboriginal Legal Service, which was basically the same, same work, same community. And I thought, oh, good, I can still be the legal aid lawyer. It's just in a different form. And I did that for a couple of years. And I really enjoyed that, really learned so much from the community and felt so privileged to have that opportunity. But what I also started thinking was, well, my kids are still so little. Mm. What does it look like in five or 10 years? Is this where I want to be? I had a friend who said, what's your ideal job? And I laughed and I said, it would be staying home all day. And I just thought, (laughs) and I think it's probably just being a bit introverted. I just thought that would be kind of cool. You just get up, you work on your laptop, you have a coffee, you wander down the street, have another coffee, whatever it is. That sounds nice. And then I thought, well, how do I do that? If that is the sort of dream job, how do I make that happen? And Mm. it's not working in the community sector because you really need to be there every day. And I wanted to be there at school pickup. And whilst my job had actually been very flexible about, you know, doing the hours I wanted to or working part-time or even working from home, I guess I wanted to be switched on enough that when I did school pickup that I was engaged and not trying to answer the phone and work from work the same commitments but in less hours. So I came up with this idea that I could actually probably work less from home and still earn similar money because you don't get paid a lot in the community sector. Mm. And it's grown from there. I wasn't originally doing a lot of surrogacy because I was a family lawyer. So I was doing a lot of divorce and separation stuff. But these days it's almost entirely surrogacy and donor conception. The other part of making that decision was actually wanting to avoid litigation because I really, yeah. it's, I find that really stressful when people mm-hmm. say we want to go to court. I think, no, no, find another lawyer. I don't want to do that because there's some lawyers that are really good at that. And some of them are now barristers doing it because that's what they're good at. Yeah. And in some ways I thought, life's too short for me to be at court every day. I don't want to do that. What I want to do is the, what's become like family creation law because people like each other and they're nice to each other. And I don't have the stress of dealing with people that don't like each other. Family creation. That's I never heard that term before, but that's a nice way I made of that thinking about it. <laughs> oh, well, there you yeah. go. You should coin that. Yeah. Trademark. I should. But good on you though, for being able to create a life that mm is the vision. Well, I mean, you're living the vision that you had whenever, however long ago that was that you said, I want to work at home, but not only just doing work to pay the bills, but doing work that you're really passionate about. And that means a lot more to you than just an income. Yeah. And I think some of what I'd learned perhaps in my old jobs was that I was very good at managing. For example, I, was, I think I was a good lawyer, but I kind of just wanted more autonomy. I wanted to be able to say, yeah. I'm doing this because I want to do it, not because I've been told to or because it's in a strategic plan that somebody else wrote. It's actually my thing that I want to do. And what because I now run a podcast, I blog, and I'm the lawyer, It's um, 
I'm not just strictly Sarah Jefford lawyer. I do all these other things. Then they're the ones that I get the most joy out of. I I mean, I love the lawyer bit, but I get to create my own podcast, create my own blog, my website, everything else that um, is the creative stuff that I wouldn't have done Mm. in another law firm, essentially. Yeah. And there's a book coming. Yes, there is a book coming. (laughs) That is so super exciting. I think we're... um, well, getting ready for the editing stage, I, that's a bit scary, but that's, yeah, that's where we're going. That's so exciting. Mm. You might have yours out before we get around to ours. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always there. It's yeah. always there. Are there words you live by, Sarah? Is there a mantra? Yeah, um, you are going to laugh, but it's basically I do what I like, um, which sounds really um, petulant probably. <laughs> it's probably, I mean, you know what? My nine-year-old I think it has sounds the same good. mantra. It's, it's different coming from your nine-year-old. <laughs> His would also be, you're always telling me what to do. Um, so, you know, he does what I like as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and really, it, I think it's been, in some ways, it sounds kind of morbid, but I think about, well, life's so short. Do I really want to be doing what other people want me to do or do I want to do things that make me happy? And Absolutely. if money was no object, what would I be doing? Well, actually, I'd be doing exactly this. So that's oh, the best that's bit. so lovely. Yeah. So, yeah, just do what I like. And if you've got some words for women like us who are managing the juggle, what would they be? Um, bit of advice apart from do what you like yeah <laughs> it would also be look for me I have to remind myself of this all the time I have to schedule in the downtime so scheduling in reading a book or going for a massage mm-hmm. or sending yourself flowers or whatever it is yeah. if you don't schedule it in you I think um, I'm very much responsible for my own well-being I can't put that responsibility on other people and mums and dads know this as well you, you can't expect your kids to look after your well-being mm. um, so if I'm responsible for my well-being, then it's on me if I don't go for a run or don't read a book or don't get a massage. And so scheduling in makes it a priority. That's what I would advise mm. people to do. That's perfect. Do what you like and schedule it in. Yes, that's right. <laughs> we can. I, I can take some of that. Yeah. I like, though, that you say it's your responsibility because it's so easy to make excuses about why we can't do things. I've been doing this. I've been things I've wanted to do and I can't do that because my husband's not here in the morning so I have to have the kids and I can't do that because I'm tired when it's bedtime but actually I'm just making excuses Mm -hmm. if I want to do it I I can. I spend a lot of time like you say we're the ones responsible. That's right and I think if I can find time to scroll Facebook then I can find time to do those things that are actually bigger priorities Mm -hmm. like going for a run or um, scheduling something in like a massage yeah. Yeah yeah. (laughs) Thank you Sarah. Thank you. So, Sarah, you mentioned your blog and your podcast. Where can people find out what is happening with all of that and your upcoming book, of course, too? So everything is on my website, which is sarahjefford.com. Uh, the podcast they can also find on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud or wherever they listen to their podcast. The blog is on the website and it's essentially anything that's surrogacy and donor conception related is all there. I just I have a thought bubble and I turn it into a blog post and I really want it to be dynamic. So if people have anything they want to contribute or ask questions, then they can get in touch. All my contact details are there. And they can also find me on uh, Instagram, which is Sarah underscore Sarah Lawyer, or on Facebook as Sarah Jeff. And the name of the podcast awesome. is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast? Oh, yes. So, is that right? Yes, the podcast is the Australian Surrogacy cool. Podcast. Uh, it's got intended parents and surrogates that I interview for their stories, but I've also interviewed a few professionals in the field, including a surrogacy counsellor, and I've talked to people about donor conception as well. So anything that's sort of family creation related is in there. 
Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. It's been so great having a chat with you. Thank you. Thank you all so much for joining us today. That's it from us. If you enjoyed the episode, we would love it if you could subscribe and leave us a rating to let us know what you think. And also go over, of course, while you're on the Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to your podcast and check out Sarah's podcast too. And if you want to continue the conversation with us, then please join us in the Juggle community on Facebook. You can find the links to that and to all of our past episodes and anything else you might be interested in at our website, which is www.thejuggle.com.au. See you next time. Happy juggling. Happy juggling.